Bismillah alhamdulillah wassalatu wassalamu ala rasulillah During the khilafa of Umar bin al-Khattab radiallahu anhu uh, there was a plague that affected the area of Asham and it was the practice of uh, many of the Sahaba to care for one another and to make dua for one another and to have a sincere commitment to one another. And so Mu'adh ibn Jabal, he was affected by the death of Abu Ubaidah ibn al-Jarrah during this plague. And he asked Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, O oh Allah, where is my share of the plague? As if he felt that he missed out because of his brother Abu Ubaidah radiallahu anhu suffering, uh, going through this process of the plague, going through that suffering, through that disease, and being finally a shaheed for the sake of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So he said, where is my share of the plague? And not so um, much time later, his son became infected and he died. So his son, uh, Abdurrahman, became infected with the plague and he died. And he told his son to have patience. Mu'adh told his son to have patience. And so Abdurrahman said, Ya Abdi, you will inshallah find me patient. And he gave the same response that Ismail alayhi salam uh, said to Ibrahim alayhi salam when uh, he was told that he would be sacrificed for the sake of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And then afterwards, Mu'adh ibn Jabal, uh, he became infected with the plague. And he made a very interesting statement. And you'll find people will make statements that really reflect the inner core of who they are when they go through times of really hard tribulation, uh, such as being on your deathbed, such as going through a disease, and so you really find out the inner nature of a person. You really try. You really find out who they truly are. And Mu'adh ibn Jabal, he said, Oh Allah, you know that I don't want to live in this dunya for the sake of owning farms and increasing my wealth. The only reason I want to live is to fast the long days of summer and to pray the long nights of winter. So the, his pleasure in life, the only reason he wants to live is so that he can continue to worship Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And for some people, they would look at it as sacrifices. They would look at it as you're missing out on something. But Mu'adh ibn Jabal, he finds, radiallahu anhu, he finds and the Sahaba, they found a pleasure in sacrificing for the sake of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And how can, be, how can sacrifice be pleasurable? Well, I want you to think about this. If somebody were to tell you, I need you to sacrifice $1,000, how would you feel? Okay, maybe you won't feel so good. I don't have that much money in the bank. But then if you realize, hey, this, sac this $1,000, uh, you're asked to be allocated into this stock. And this is maybe, uh, you know, in the 90s uh, and it's for Apple computers. 
So now this thousand dollars, because you, it's a sacrifice. At the end of the day, you're sacrificing that money for something. You could use that money uh, on buying clothes. You can use that money on buying food. But it's a sacrifice that you make. And if a person told you if you had to sacrifice a thousand dollars for Apple stock, you wouldn't think that you're losing out. You wouldn't think that you're losing something. You wouldn't feel in a state of loss. You wouldn't feel uh, this, uh, you, you know, um, e emotional uh, conflict within yourself of handing over or forking over that thousand dollars. So there are many things that we can sacrifice. There are many things that we can sacrifice. And so in this situation, you're sacrificing your wealth, same amount, $1,000. If you knew it was going into Apple stock back in the 90s, uh, you would feel happy. You wouldn't feel like you're losing anything. Uh, if you gave that $1,000, maybe, uh, or if you bought it in clothes, maybe you would think later on in life, hey, uh, this wasn't the best investment. At the time, you maybe feel that it was a good investment or uh, you felt that uh, you there was some returns that other people would not be able to experience. So your sacrifice, uh, in all instances, you are giving up something. You are giving up something to get something. Now, the problem that we have in sacrificing for the sake of Allah SWT is we really don't feel truly, many of us, we don't truly feel that we are getting something invaluable in return. So what are some of the things that we sacrifice? Well, we can sacrifice wealth, money, property. Uh, you know, we can sacrifice comforts, luxuries. Uh, we can sacrifice time. So the days, the hours, the minutes, the seconds into something. Uh, your, your person, you can sacrifice your physical well-being. You can sacrifice... Uh, your desires, you can sacrifice your ego. But now, all these things that you feel that you're sacrificing or you're giving up, all these things that you feel that you are sacrificing and you are giving up, who gave that to you in the first place? Who gave that to you in the first place? People are so... Uh, stingy, they're so miserly in terms of sacrificing anything for the sake of Allah SWT, but who gave you everything that you have, including your life itself? Allah SWT tells us in the Quran, La ilaha illallah wa yumit, that there is no deity worthy of worship except for Allah. It is the he. It is he who gives life and causes death. Allah Subhanahu wa Taala gave you everything that you have the ability to sacrifice in the first place. Allah Subhanahu wa Taala has given you a choice of whether or not whatever you have been bestowed, do you choose uh, to utilize it for a higher purpose? That is, I. Uh, pleasing to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala or do you sacrifice it for your nafs or do you sacrifice it uh, on the path of shaitan Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala 
tells us in Surah Al-Ali Imran, Ayah 145, and whoever desires a reward in this world, we shall give him of it, and the desires a reward in the Akhirah, we shall give him, and we shall reward the grateful. So if you want the reward in this life, if your sacrifice is meant to get something in terms of a worldly gain, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will give it to you. Whoever desires a reward in this uh, a reward, something to gain in this dunya, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will give it to him in this dunya. And if you want uh, your reward in the akhirah, then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will give it to you. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is telling at, at the end that he uh, rewards the shakari, that he rewards the people that are grateful. And if you look at the attitude of the Sahaba radiallahu anhum, they were grateful to sacrifice for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala because those two things are linked. A person who is grateful is willing to sacrifice. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, uh, remember me and I will remember you. That, uh, and be grateful for me and never be uh, ungrateful. And ingratitude here is linked with kufr, right? Uh, you know, the same word that is used for kufr, you know, don't be ungrateful. Uh, kufr is linked with ingratitude. And gratitude is linked because here when Allah SWT says, remember me, what is the way that we remember Allah SWT? The primary number one way that we remember Allah SWT is through our salah is to glorifying Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in salah. And what does Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala say in another ayah in the Quran? Fasalli li rabbika wanhar. And turn to Allah in prayer and sacrifice. So as if those two things are linked, salah and sacrificing for the sake of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala are linked. Your ibadah is linked with sacrificing for the sake of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has given you this capital, wealth, time, energy, talents, so many things Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has given you, but we let uh, ourselves limit and ration out what we are willing to give for the sake of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. You know, it's a hard time, it, it's, it's a hard, um, proposition for somebody to be a complainer when they are grateful to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. It's hard to be miserly and tight-fisted when you are grateful to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. It's hard because you know the source of everything that you have. Uh, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, he tells us in the Quran and Surah Al-Baqarah 172, O you who believe, uh, eat of the lawful things that we have provided you with and be grateful to Allah if it is indeed he whom you worship. So Allah SWT is telling you here, eat of the lawful things, of the permissible things, of the halal things that you've been provided with and be grateful. You have to be grateful if it is Allah that you worship because we all eat, everybody eats to survive. But it is those who are grateful to Allah SWT and eat and conduct themselves within the confines of what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has ordained for them to do or what he has uh, you know, guided them to do. And so those people are the ones that are truly worshiping Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Now this 
you know, we say Ramadan, again, people sometimes classify it as the month of sacrifice. And, you know, people really focus on the withholding that we withhold uh, from food and drink. We sacrifice from eating, drinking, uh, sexual relations between sunrise and sunset. And all of these things we think about in terms of what we normally do in a day and what we normally do in a day uh, rest of the year, perhaps, is serving our nafs, is serving our desires. And so we look at it as a sacrifice because, oh, now I have to sacrifice my nafs, my desires. Uh, you know, I can't just, I wanted to eat, I feel hungry, but you're sacrificing that. But look at this, this whole month, there's, it's not for you to simply sacrifice full stop, as we mentioned in the previous session, so that you may become grateful. So that you may be become grateful because the majority, there are, there are so many hadith that talk about the majority of people in hellfire being those who are ungrateful to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. The majority uh, of women uh, who are said to be in hellfire, are, according to hadith in Bukhari, are the ones because why? Not for the simple fact that they're women, it's because of the fact that they were ungrateful. They were ungrateful. Uh, Ibrahim السلام, he instructed his son Ismail السلام, to uh, divorce his wife because uh, his first wife's wife was ungrateful. In the hadith, uh, in another hadith, it doesn't matter whether you're, you're a, a, a man or a woman, ingratitude is a cause for you to be in a state of evil. Ingratitude is a cause for you to be on a path to hellfire. In hadith in Abu Dawood, Rasul said the most evil of what is in a man is miserliness and cowardice. Miserliness and cowardice. Because a man who is grateful to Allah SWT has courage. A man who is grateful to Allah SWT has the ability to sacrifice whether it is uh, his money, his wealth, his time for the sake of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And so when Ibrahim alayhi salam, he told him, uh, told his son Ismail to divorce his wife because she was ungrateful, she was complaining. Uh, you know, it's a, a little bit of a longer uh, hadith, but in, 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 in essentially uh, she was complaining of the lack of resources that they had. And for Ibrahim alayhi salam, uh, your system, your, you know, when we talk about previously about having a systemic iman. So systemic iman, meaning that uh, your character, your identity, what you do, it's consistent, right? So it's consistent with iman. So that means that who you're married to should be a reflection of that iman-based system. Your environment, see, it doesn't make sense if you say, for example, your environment, you're surrounded by haram. And you say that I'm a person of taqwa, I'm a person who, uh, that Islam, Allah, everything is, all of these things are very, very important to me. It's a, it's an, it's a contradiction. 
if if you're uh, if you're married to somebody uh, who who doesn't have iman, or you're surrounded by your close friends, your advisors, and they don't have strong iman, all of these different things they're contradictions. It doesn't show that we have systemic iman. When we're talking about taqwa, when we're talking about gratitude, we need to talk about these, these things not in a compartmentalized way. That we operate on a on a level that societal norms dictate for us, and occasionally we get a reminder and we'll do something that okay, let's be gra grateful here. Okay, let's um, try to show some taqwa here. Okay, let's try to show some obedience here, because what happens when you compartmentalize from your core identity? What you end up doing is that you ritualize, as we said before, is that you 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 make it just rituals. You ritualize your deen. So it doesn't become a significant part of your identity. It doesn't become a way that you process the world. It doesn't, it's not part of how you feel about things in the world. It's not about how you think about things in the world, okay? You know, you have then your uh, your nafs, which is very, very easily manipulated by materialism in charge. And rather than being the truth, being in charge, you following what uh, as a Muslim submitting yourself to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala being in charge, you follow all these other uh, types of things. And so uh, with the family of Ibrahim salam, I think this is a, a beautiful case study of how from the family up, from the individual to the family, uh, to the community, you systemize Iman-based thinking. It's a very, very beautiful story because uh, if you look at just when Ibrahim salam left his uh, wife Hajar in Ismail in the desert, so leaving, just imagine that leaving your family and he loved Ismail and he was making a dua for Ismail and he loved his wife and it, Hajar says to him, Ya Ibrahim, where are you going, leaving us in this valley where there is no one, there is no company or anything, there's no food. And she repeated it many times. But what we understand, the best provision, the best sustenance, the best provision to support yourself isn't necessarily having a full fridge, isn't necessarily having a full bank account, the best provision is taqwa. The best provision is taqwa. Because here Allah SWT showed an entire nation was created by the taqwa and obedience of Ibrahim salam, of Hajar uh, salam, and Ismail as an infant. An entire nation was established the product of which would be Muhammad Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam based on giving the provision of taqwa based on sacrificing for the sake of Allah SWT, that's in a huge emotional sacrifice that's a huge material sacrifice being in a place that nothing you're sac you're literally sacrificing everything it's just between you and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala at that point and it's like when you truly show everything on the line Allah gives it back to you in 
investment, he does that return on that investment, uh, you know, it's like multiplied uh, layer over layer that you could not even imagine. You know, like as I mentioned before at the beginning that if you were to invest in Apple and you would see, man, like it's a penny stock, a few dollars, and it ends up, you know, making me like a thousand percent more rich. Man, what? Look at this crazy. Like this is a dream stock. What uh, I was able to get from at that time, maybe you were young, uh, they, uh, you know, when you're younger, you, you can you're tempted to put your money in all sorts of different other things, uh, spend it on yourself, uh, you know, spend it on maybe what's in front of you and you don't have a lot of money. And so imagine at that time and then it pays off like a thousand fold. Think about this. Think of the payoff of uh, of this where. Uh, you know, when 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 Hajar asked Ibrahim alayhi salam, has Allah subhanahu wa ordered you to do so? And Ibrahim alayhi salam said, yes. He says, then Allah will never neglect us. If this sacrifice was told to you, it's for Allah subhanahu wa and it was told to you from Allah subhanahu wa then Allah subhanahu wa will never neglect us. Right? Allah subhanahu wa And what happened? That she found the amazing miraculous well of Zamzam, not only a source of water, but a source of Shifa, not only a source of Shifa, of, of purification, of healing. People use Zamzam to uh, heal themselves, to cure themselves of Ill illness. But then that was the nexus, the reason for those tribes from Yemen when they came for an entire civilization to be built in that area. So even though she was alone, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala provided her with people. Even though she and her son were thirsty, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala provided them with a, there's no better water, with, with a miraculous sweet water of Zamzam that is incomparable, incomparable in the world. And because she was willing to put everything on the line for the sake of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. How many generations after generations yearn, yearn, like spend their savings, sacrifice their health, their time, everything. They're sacrificing everything to emulate the sacrifice of Hajar uh, and her son Ismail and Ibrahim they're yearning to do that. And so many people right now at this moment would give anything to be able to go for Hajj. Maybe they don't know if they're going to live another year. Maybe this is the last year that they could have went for Hajj. And right now we know the current situation where never, nobody can go for Umrah. Nobody can go for Hajj. Actually, the only people who can worship Allah in the Haram and the Kaaba right now really regularly are the cleaners. So the people who maybe weren't given a second look, uh, the people who were neglected, the people who may uh, not necessarily have the biggest paychecks actually are the ones who are honored the most right now by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And, uh, you know, when when uh, Ibrahim alayhi salam, uh, when he faced the Kaaba, he made dua to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. He says, oh, our Lord, I have made some of my off offspring to dwell in a valley without cultivation by the sacred house in order our Lord that they may establish regular prayer. So fill their hearts with 
some men who, uh, or, or so, so fill the hearts of some men with love towards them and feed them with fruits so that well, look at this so that Allah that they survive so that Allah that they don't die uh, so that Allah SWT, I don't lose my family no give them because they're going to survive Allah, he knows that it's in the hands of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Give them so they can give thanks. Give them all of these things uh, so that uh, we can give thanks. And the, the, this, this Iman-based system, like I said, it was consistent. Systems for them to be healthy and for them to be functional. Uh, it has to be consistent. So you see that when Ismail was... Uh, born when he was young, when he was an infant. You see that when he gets a little bit older, because he's asked to make a sacrifice. Uh, uh, in uh, Surah Al-Safat, Ayah 102, Allah SWT says, and when Ismail was old enough to walk with him, Ibrahim, he said, oh my son, I have seen a vision that I offer you in sacrifice. So what do you think? He said, oh my father, do that which you are commanded. Inshallah, you will find me a sabirin. So he would, uh, he said, you'll find me a min a sabirin. You'll find me amongst the patient. So the whole life. So, so of course, when he marries somebody who is ungrateful, it's it's something that is contradicting the system. It's something that is contradicting the system, and that's something that we have to think in that comprehensive way. Because, you know, subhanAllah, sometimes you speak with um, young Muslims who say that I'm going to change when this happens. So I'll become more religious when I graduate. I will become more religious and obedient. I will give da'wah after I start working and earning some money. I just have to worry about school and money and things like that right now. Or they'll say, hey, you know what? I'm going to start becoming religious. I'm going to find somebody who is a little bit more religious. I'll marry them and I'll be more religious. Life doesn't work like that. Life I have very rarely seen somebody who has said, okay, I'm going to have this materialistic or this dunya goal, which can coincide with absolutely anybody else. Like whether they're Muslim or non-Muslim, they can have those same goals. And those same goals aren't a launching pad for you to necessarily become a good Muslim uh, or a better Muslim or somebody who has taqwa or who is trying to establish an iman-based system. If you have an iman-based system, then you do that in all circumstances. Okay? You do that in all situations. You do that when you're getting, is this person now that I'm going to marry, uh, are they going to be make me or help me become more grateful to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala? If I want to sacrifice to Allah, are they going to say, yes, you have the ability to do that. You should do that. I will support you in doing that. If you want to serve Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Or are they going to say, hey, listen, uh, we were planning on going on vacation. What are you going to donate for these orphans? We were planning on going on vacation this year. We were planning on doing this. We were planning on going to Disneyland. We were planning on going to Hawaii. We were planning on going on a European vacation. Why, you know, let's 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 think about that later. We don't necessarily have to do this. Why do you have to put this time in it? Imagine if the Sahaba radiallahu anhum had the attitude that we had. You know, that it's one and done. I've done this, sacrifice. Remember when we talked about the uh, the donation 
of Abu Bakr as-Siddiq radiallahu anhu where he gave all his wealth for the sake of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, was he one and done? Did he say, I've given all my wealth? That's good for a lifetime. I guarantee you, I guarantee you, most people, if they gave uh, all their wealth, they said, that's it, I'm done. I've given all my wealth and anything else I make, I can just keep for myself now. When do you have any example of a narration of one of the Sahaba, okay? That says, Ya Rasulullah, I can't come with you uh, because, or I can't give for you know to you, or I can't uh, serve or do something because you remember when I did this, or do you remember when I did that? Don't you don't you remember when I you know put myself in front of the arrow that was coming at you and it hit my hand and it paralyzed my hand? Like now, you know maybe it's I'm I'm good now, right? I'm, it's all it's all good. Any of the Sahaba radiallahu anhum had that attitude because it's actually a real system. Iman was systemized within themselves. Their environment was systemized. It's not your, they're going to try. And by the way, that does not mean you don't make mistakes. That does not mean that you don't falter uh, occasionally. Nobody is perfect. We have Tawbah in Islam and you know people struggle. That's not the point. But maybe the reason you struggle too much or unnecessarily is because you haven't created that Iman-based system for your life. The way that you think, that that's a system approach to be able to put your trust in Allah. So this is right. Uh, this is something that is good to do. You know what? Let's do it. Put my trust in Allah SWT. Okay? So, uh, and that is going to be tested uh, in situations. So will that Iman-based system still function in a situation where things are going awesome, you don't have to worry, there's no cares in the world, or in a situation where you're suffering from loss, trials, and tribulations. Uh, there's a hadith uh, that uh, narrates a uh, situation that occurred to Umm Sulaim and Abu Talha, عنهم, where uh, Abu Talha was away on business, and uh, you know, on a business trip, and Umm Salim's son became sick. So their baby uh, son, baby boy, became sick, and he died. And so when Abu Talha returned, Umm Salim at that point, I want you to imagine the situation: husband, wife, young son dies. It's very, very uh, easy now to start just looking inwards and start pitying yourself and just looking at your own perhaps emotional needs. But this, I would say, is probably one of the most amazing women in entire human history. Honestly, if you know the love that a mother has for her child, uh, it's, uh, it's indescribable when you see the love, the interaction between a mother and a child. And so she uh, acted as if everything is okay. She made dinner for her husband. Uh, she beautified herself. They spent uh, some time together. And she said to Abu Talha, she said, if some people borrow something from another family and then ask for it to be returned, should they refuse to give it back? So she Look at the question she's asking Abu Talha. He said, no. And so she said, hope reward for your son. 
So what she was trying to say and what Abu Talha understood is that Allah SWT gave us a son, he blessed us with a son, and then he took him back. Look at the wisdom of Umm Salim. Look at the understanding of Umm Salim. Look at her gratitude to Allah SWT. She didn't look at the loss. She didn't look at the loss of losing her son. She looked, she focused on the time that she had with her son. And can you be mad when what you were given now, what you were allowed to borrow, what you were given responsibility over now was taken back? Can you be mad at that? And this is why, you know, subhanAllah, she had this, this level of iman that our Rasul had given her the glad tidings of Jannah in uh, hadith narrated by Anas bin Malik anhu in the Muslim of Imam Ahmed, uh, Rasul Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, he said, I entered paradise. I heard rustling sound ahead of me. I then realized it was made by Al-Ghumaysha bint Milhan, uh, and this was uh, Umm Salim. And so uh, Abu Talha, he went to Ar Rasul Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. And Ar Rasul Sallallahu Alaihi uh, already knew of the situation and he said, may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala bless your previous night. And so because, think about, because of their gratitude, because of their commitment, that that system remained intact. It didn't break down because it was authentic. It was real. There was an inconsistencies in that system. Because of that, what reward did Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala give Umm Salim and Abu Talha? They had... Ten sons after that, all of them half of the Quran, all of them the people of Quran, the memorizers and reciters of Quran. You know, our concept of sacrifice, especially in this month, needs to be recalibrated. Our concept of what harms us needs to be recalibrated. Because oftentimes it's, I can see this in the eyes of people when they see somebody serving or making a sacrifice for the sake of Allah SWT and they pity them as if they've lost something, as if they are, you know, man, you're, you're kind of pitying them like, oh man, miskeen. Sacrificing for the sake of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Giving for the sake of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala tells us in Surah Al-Baqarah, Ayah 195. And spend in the cause of Allah. And do not throw yourself into destruction. And do good. Truly Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala loves the muhsaneen. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is saying, Spend in the cause of Allah and don't throw yourself in destruction. Struggle for the sake of Allah SWT and don't throw yourself in destruction. So it's the opposite of what we often consider giving or sacrificing for the, for the sake of Allah SWT to be. Because we think that we're losing something. Rather, Allah SWT is saying, give for the sake of Allah SWT and you're saving yourself from destruction. Don't throw yourself in destruction. And do good, and Allah Subhanahu wa Taala loves the muhsinun, the ones that are continuously 
giving and doing good for the sake of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. They're constantly doing that. And they realize, why are they able to continuously do that? Why are they continuously able to? Because they don't feel that they're doing a favor. When you feel that you are doing a favor to Allah by worshiping Allah. Remember that the hadith of Rasul that if the whole world and everyone came to worship Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, it would not increase Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and His Majesty. And if everyone disobeyed, the whole world disobeyed Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, it would not decrease Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and His Majesty. So we can't, see that's the attitude that we have. Oh, I gave this, I did this favor, I helped this person. Uh, I No, you have to look at it as you are serving yourself because it is the wrong mentality. Uh, uh, to say that, uh, or to even remind people of the favors you've done for them. Uh, oh, you who believe, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala tells us in the Quran, in Surah Al-Baqarah, Ayah 264, do not render in vain your sadaqah, your charity, by reminders of your generosity or by injury, like him who spends his wealth to be seen of men. Okay? Uh, and he does not believe in Allah in the last day. Somebody who does that. Uh, the, one of the people that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala won't look at, according to the hadith in Sahih Muslim, one of the people that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala won't look at on the day of judgment, or the one when they do something, they give something, they remind people of their favors. They remind them of what they did. So we have to uh, appreciate that what we are able to do uh, is a blessing, it's a investment it's a benefit only to ourselves, firstly and foremostly to ourselves. And then, uh, a secondary, it can be others. So the fard ayn component, okay? So you have, in terms of sacrifice, you have a fard ayn component that everyone is uh, supposed to sacrifice for the sake of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So you're supposed to sacrifice, you know, uh, you know, your time and effort for salah, for example. You're supposed to sacrifice a portion of your wealth for zakat, for example. Time, money, effort, hajj, okay? And then for others, there's like a fard kifaya, okay? That you uh, have uh, for others that if so, certain people do it, then, you know, you need to have certain people who have alm, knowledge, that can lead the salah, that can answer the questions. So they go off, they study, they uh, are able to have that knowledge because we know the scholars are the inheritors of the prophets. So they come back to their com uh, community. So you have somebody doing that, that's farad kifaya, that's, uh, you know, for uh, for the others, as long as you have some people, everybody, everybody doesn't have to do that, but you need some people who are doing that. So, uh, you know, the, uh, you know, oftentimes we think about, you know, the, um, the, 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 the person who sacrifices in private, okay, and the person who sacrifices in, in public are often two, sometimes two different types of people, okay, because publicly it's very easy to sacrifice, in private it's sometimes a little bit more difficult to sacrifice. So the one who is able to put their ego aside and be able to sacrifice in both public and private is operating on a different level. That means that the primary object of their sacrifice is Allah SWT, whereas for people who are situational, it could be their nafs, okay? Their ego is the one that's a primary charge. And that is a very harmful state to be in. When your ego is the one that's in charge, it's very, very harmful. Uh, if you look at um, 
what they term as uh, Generation Y. Okay, so this is not even uh, what we would say necessarily menin, uh, millennials, or they there can be an overlap with men, uh, millennials. Okay, so there can be an overlap with Gen Y and millennials. Okay, and so they say that this generation, uh, you know, there's been a lot of um, commentary, a lot of psychologists. Uh, social psychologists who have commentated on this generation. And they say that one of the hallmarks of this generation, and this uh, this particular um, book and study uh, classifies them being born between 1978 and uh, 1997, okay? So, you know, persons like, you know, born in 1977 uh, or, or 19, earlier than 1978, they're like, oh yes, I'm not in that generation. And then someone who's like maybe 1998, they're like, yes, I'm not born in that generation, so I'm not a narcissist or entitled, okay? But just take the, uh, I would say the essence of the study or just take the essence of the point. So uh, the, uh, this uh, Dr. Jean Twenge, the author of Generation Me, uh, she studies why today's young Americans are more confident, assertive, entitled, and more miserable than ever. So she did a study uh, at the University of San Diego where um, she had uh, 16,400 students take this narcissistic personality inventory, this narcissism inventory personality test between 1982 and 2006, okay? So narcissism is like somebody who has an extreme self-love. They're very self-centered, very individualistic. They lack empathy for others. OK, uh, they overreact to criticism and they favor themselves over others. OK, so she found in 1982, uh, one third, uh, you know, um, were, uh, were, you know, tested above average on the test so that they uh, had this this trait, this narcissistic trait, one third. OK. So, you know, that's what, 33%. 2006, she says today, the average, and that's 2006. So we're talking about a study that's 14, already 14 years old. Over 65%, so more than double, more than double are showing above average tendency towards uh, a narcissistic personality. Whoa. <laughs> double. Double. So there's something happening, right? There's something that's changing. Uh, and uh, we see that in, in the world around us because, uh, you know, anytime now, even in the field of Dawa, even in the field of Dawa, I remember when I started off, when you would deal with some of the scholars and speakers, it was all about the community. It was all about, hey, let's, you know, community and let's help the community out, let's serve the community. And then as time went on, so like uh, from the early, late 90s, early 2000s, uh, you know, if you go down then maybe about uh, eight years later, eight, you know, 10 years later after that, so you're getting into the 2010s and up, you know, like the one of the, unfortunately for some, not all, some, uh, it was about some speakers, some du'at, it was about, um, you know, how much money am I going to get for this? What kind of consideration, you know, am I going to get for this? Uh, you know, what what what's uh, what other um, added 
you know, benefits. So what it's it was it was, that was used to be like the primary reason. It used to be like the first reason, you know. And you know that's why you know Subhanallah. Uh, you know you probably see like a lot of the ex branding and stuff like that. And inshallah, in in we're gonna have a very special Malcolm X episode in the near uh, future. Inshallah, so stay tuned for that. Very very special Malcolm X episode. Uh, with a special guest, okay. But the reason why uh, I admire the the personality and the life of Malcolm X is because uh, individualistically, materially, he could have been much, much more well-off if uh, he veered towards that direction. But he was sincere in his endeavor. Like he traveled sincerely for the sake of Allah to to seek the truth. And that's why you see him leaving nation of Islam and he becomes, uh, you know, a Muslim, a practicing Sunni Muslim. So he left that, he he evolved into that, and he stayed steadfast in his principles. And if he wanted to become wealthy, he could be wealthy. And if he wanted to sell out, he could have sold out. And if he wanted to make life uh, materially very, very easy for himself, he could have done that. But he put everything on the line. He put him himself, his own life on the line. He put his money on the line. He put his family on the line because he believed in the truth. He was sincere in that. And that's... Um, that comes with being authentic. That becomes again with a person who is uh, they're consistent in, uh, in in the system of iman. Okay. So uh, if we look at now the people who are struggling, they're few and far between. The people who are truly struggling for the sake of Allah Subhanahu wa Taala are few and far between. But yet we also don't appreciate them either. So there's not an appreciation for that. But we should understand that the people who, who struggle for the sake of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, and especially those who sacrifice themselves for others, for the community, for the ummah, they're on a completely different status. They're on a completely different level. There's a hadith that is mutafaqun alayhim, where one of the sahaba went to Rasul sallallahu alayhi wa sallam and said, Ya Rasulullah, what could be equal to jihad? Uh, for the sake of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And so Rasulullah said, you're not able to do that. And so the Sahaba, they asked like two or three times. And so Rasulullah said, you know, the likeness of the Mujahid who struggles for the sake of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is like the one who fasts continually and prays Qiyam at night uh, and continuously reciting the verses of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And they never cease to fast and pray until the Mujahid who has gone out for the sake of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has returned back. So look at the difference here. Because you look at those acts of worship, salah, fasting, uh, reading Quran, that's restricted to the individual. That's restricted to the individual. Whereas going out and you know uh, struggling for the sake of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, whether you're giving da'wah, whether you're defending Muslims, any of those things, you're doing it for something even more than yourself. Okay, uh, you're 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 doing it for a for others. You know that's why, for example, uh, Abdullah bin Masood anhu he said, "I would rather learn and spread knowledge rather than the nawafil fasting, the extra you know fasting." So again, 
month of Ramadan, is it going to be more than the fasting? Because after the month of Ramadan, he said, you know what? I should fast more often. That's good, by the way. Okay, so I just want you to know that's a good thing. But you, you should be changing your mentality now, right? You should be changing yourself to be a person of taqwa. You're, you're creating an, a, 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 a consistent iman-based system within yourself, an operating system that's not inconsistent. So a person who fasts during the month of Ramadan is like, okay, you know what? We need uh, to dispel misconceptions. We need to make sure that we are united upon the truth. On, and you need to have knowledge to do that, to know what the truth is. So you spend more time, you're more sincere on the path of knowledge and educating others, starting obviously, you know, you start with your family, people who are easy and close to you. You're struggling, you're giving da'wah, you're, you're doing whatever you can within your means uh, to serve the deen of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, okay? Uh, if you look at um, uh, the uh, a leader, what a leader is supposed to be, a leader is supposed to take responsibility. A leader is supposed to serve others. That's the essence of a leader. You know, many of us, uh, we have uh, unfortunately uh, have developed such a low standard of leadership and politics that we looked at, at these people as people who just see, seek to exploit uh, the general public. Okay. But actually, leadership, people who take responsibility, is something that is very, very praiseworthy if you take it in the essence of how it's supposed to be uh, performed. Rasul Sallallahu he says in a hadith in Sunan al-Tarmadhi, uh, the most beloved of the people to Allah SWT on the day of judgment, and the one seated closest to him, Azza wa Jal, will be Imamun Adil, the just ruler. And the most hated people to Allah on the day of judgment, and the one seated furthest away from him, will be an unjust ruler. So the just ruler will be the one that's going to be the closest to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala on the day of judgment. Because think about this, what do, a ruler, uh, a true leader is continuously taking uh, responsibility and sacrificing even their own personal needs, their own personal comforts for the sake of others. True leaders are hard to find. A person who wants a position, a person who wants authority, that's easy to find. But a person who is willing to put everything on the line for a community, for others, you know, like as I mentioned with, with, with Malcolm X, he really put himself and his family on the line to serve his community. If we look at uh, starting with Ar-Rasul Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, and the Khulafa Rashidun, they put themselves on personally. Like think about what a leader does. They sacrifice time, extra time they could be spending with their family. They could be sacrificing like their own personal wealth uh, for, um, for the good of the community or what they want to advance because they're in their mind, they're like, how do I protect this community from fitna? And how do I get this community closer to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala? How do I do that? Salah al-Din Ayyubi was one of the greatest leaders that this ummah has ever seen. And if you study his life, if you study his personality, if you study uh, his personal life, not only his political life, you see that it was consistent. You see this consistency. Salah al-Din Ayyubi could have been 
bribed with money. Salahuddin Ayyubi could have lived as a king. Salahuddin Ayyubi could have lived, uh, you know, just in his own little uh, castle. But he gave up everything for the good of the community. And the Ummah benefited for generations because of his sacrifice. The Ummah benefited for generations and generations because of his sacrifice. He took his own money and he gave it as gifts to Muslims to placate them, to make them allies, to bring the Ummah together. He was generous to his enemies. He gave from his own personal wealth. He sacrificed his own time. He didn't go uh, for Hajj, even though he badly, badly, really wanted to go for Hajj, but he didn't because of his service to the community. And he died with not, you know, barely enough money for his shroud, for his coffin. You know, he 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 died with just uh, a few dollars. Because of, and, and if you think about this, subhanAllah, we remember the name of Salah Adina Yubi, and nobody during his time remembers the official uh, Khalifa of the Muslims at that time. Nobody, barely anybody remembers, like not to say nobody, but very few know that. But if you ask, uh, if you talk to Muslims, non Muslims, people remember the name of Salah Adina Yubi. So, that sacrifice for others is on a different level. It's on a completely different level. And that's where we want to kind of, we want to elevate ourselves. We need to have a path uh, that we understand, okay, we're sacrificing individualistically for the sake of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So remember, you're not sacrificing uh, that Allah needs it. So when you're doing your salah, uh, your fast and all of these things, it's you're benefiting yourself. But then there's another level where you are able to now sacrifice on a regular basis for the jama'ah. And not everybody can do that, but we need people who can do that. But we should be able to do that on certain levels. Like, for example, uh, the our, our, our parents, you know, to lead our families, we need to be able to do that for our families. We should do that hopefully on a certain level for our communities. So our communities are individualistic. We should do that. We should have certain people who are able to do that for uh, our nations so that nations can benefit so we can have righteous uh, leaders uh, Allah SWT praised this by the way he praised this there was uh, a man who came to Rasul Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam and he was starving he was hungry many many of you maybe are, are very hungry right now uh, first few days of Ramadan can be tough so he was starving he was hungry he went to Rasul asking him for food. So Rasul went to the house of one of his wives. Is there any food? We have nothing but water. Okay. He goes to another house. Any food? Nothing but water. No, nothing but water. So then he asks uh, the people amongst the Ansar, is there anybody who can host this man tonight? So one of the companions said, I'll host this man. Ya Rasulullah. Rasul himself, look at this, pause, pause the, the screen. Rasul himself is in need, but he's concerned with the need of, he doesn't have food in his own houses. So he's not saying, does anyone have food you can give to me and I'll share with them. No, no. Does anybody have food that they can feed this man? And so this 
men volunteers and he goes to his house and uh, he tells his wife that uh, we don't, you know, we have a guest tonight for food. I have a guest uh, that Rasulullah who can feed. I agreed. And so she said, like, we barely have enough food just for our children. And so he said, okay, this is what we're going to do. What we're going to do is we're going to uh, turn out, turn off the lights. Okay, we're going to turn off the lights when he comes because they had lanterns, and not not everybody has oil for the lantern. So it's a reasonable scenario where it, you know people would be moving around in the dark. Okay, so it's like let's turn off the lanterns. Uh, I want you to boil some water for the kids and give them the idea. Okay, there's there's something cooking. And eventually, just let them fall asleep. Okay, so kind of divert their attention, diverting the kids' attention. And then when this man comes, when this guest comes, we'll make it look like we'll make sounds that we're eating, and we'll give him all our food because it's really only enough food for one person. And she agreed. She agreed. Why? Because they have an iman-based household. She agreed to that sacrifice for the sake of Allah Subhanahu wa Taala. This man agreed to this, uh, you know, for that, uh, for the sacrifice for the sake of Allah Subhanahu wa Taala. These children, imagine like, you know, people who have children uh, will appreciate this more. You will feed your child above anybody else. You know, if you're hungry, you'll give it to your child. If uh, it's between your child and someone else, you're going to give to your child. You know, you have so much love and protection. For your child, you'll do it. Whatever it takes. I want to. I need to protect that. You know, my kid. I have to give food for my kid, and you hide things, and that's why moms have like they carry like random food all the time. If you're ever hungry, just ask a mom for food. She'll have something in her purse or like in her hijab somewhere. She'll pull it out. Here's a granola bar. What fruit roll-ups? How'd you produce that? It's not a magic show. She's just a mom, you know, because they're always thinking. That's how they're designed. They're thinking about their kid. They're thinking about uh, taking care of their child because that's the love that they have. So this man comes and they go through all the theatrics. Okay, uh, This whole theater pretending to eat, uh, having this man eat, and this man leaves without him even knowing what these people did for him. Because they're not the type of people who remind others of their favor. What did we see in the hadith of Rasulullah One of the people that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala doesn't look on, look upon, is the one that reminds people of his the favors that he's done for them. And so the next day, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala met this man, this Ansari man, who gave for the sake of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And it did it in such a way of ahsan. Like this is what I'm talking about. Iman, these people were consistent in their behavior. And because they were consistent, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gave them so much from this dunya and the akhirah. And ayat, Rasul already knew what happened. He tried to hide his good deeds in the dark, brothers and sisters. Allahu Akbar. He tried to hide his good deeds in the dark. I know many people try to hide their sins in the dark from the eyes of people. 
but you can't hide it from the sake from the sight of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Many people try, they think that they can hide and be evil in the dark. Look at the level of the Sahaba radiallahu anhum who are hiding their good deeds in the dark. But you cannot hide from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and ayat of Quran were already revealed. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said about them, that there are those who give to others even though they were in themselves in need. There are those who give to others and prefer others over themselves even though they are in need. Allahu Akbar. That's it. That's it. Ayat of Quran. That shows it was authentic. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala confirms what is true, what is false. Who are the sincere or who are the fakers? At that moment, Allah verified this was such a powerful, sincere act. It has to be remembered and recited till the end of time in the Quran. You want to know whether you're authentic to your deen. You want to know whether you're sincere to your deen. Compare your behavior to the ayat of Quran. Compare who you are to the ayat of Quran. That can only happen, my dear brothers and sisters, if you even turn towards the Quran and know what is within the Quran. So we need to develop a different idea of what sacrifice is, what true righteousness is. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala tells us in Surah Al-Imran, Ayah 52, by no means shall you attain al-bir, righteousness, piety, unless you spend in Allah's cause that of which you love. And whatever of good you spend on Allah, Allah knows it well. Allah knows it. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala knows it. He knows what you are truly giving for his sake. Even if you don't get the recognition on Instagram, you don't get the recognition on Facebook, you don't get the recognition in the community, you don't de develop a reputation. Man, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala knows it. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala knows what you have given for his sake. And that should uplift you and that should empower you and that should give you a force that is undeniable, that overcomes so many different types of challenges. So my dear brothers and sisters, um, we hope that uh, this was a beneficial time for you uh, in this podcast. I guess I'm supposed to tell people to uh, subscribe if you feel like it. <laughs> I, I'm. This is such a a weird thing for me, because uh, yeah, I just feel like you should give reminders for the sake of Allah Subhanahu Wa Taala. And if people want to subscribe, they should just subscribe. So if you want to subscribe, you can subscribe. If you don't, you don't have to. Um, and uh, you know, share at least share the khair. Uh, you know, share the reminders. Either this video or whatever you learn from the video. If you just go to people and just give them the reminders. Uh, inshallah, if we can really change the way that we think, our identity, if we really truly change that, then as I mentioned in the previous podcast, then uh, there's going to be uh, a lasting effect. The, 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 the power that you generate during the month of Ramadan 
will lead to other great things during the rest of the year. And we are living in, you know, times where we should not have our head in the sand. We should not be on autopilot. We should not just um, let the days pass us by. Rather, we should be at a higher level of awareness and consciousness. And that's what a muttaqi is. They're at a very different level of consciousness. They're seeking the truth. They don't get spoon-fed junk information. They're seeking the truth. They have a good foundation of their deen. And they are engaging in the world to make the most positive impact possible. And we hope that we can do that, that we live by the truth, we die by the truth, we live by the haqq. قولي قولي هذا واستغفر الله لي ولكم من كل ذنب فاستغفروا وتوبوا له إنه هو غفور رحيم السلام عليكم ورحمة الله وبركاته. We'll see you everybody inshallah Thursday night for the next podcast.